preparing to live stream the meeting. We're there. Oh, man, we're early. It's value after hours. It is 10.30 a.m. on the West Coast, 1.30 p.m. on the East Coast. Joined, as always, by Bill Brewster and Jake Taylor. What's happening, fellas? Jake apparently is at an Elton John concert. <laughs> I am under construction. Uh, I don't know. I got this weird feeling about this Twitter thing. After <clears throat> after last week, the episode, I kind of wish that I could uh, put out an amendment. Uh, Which Twitter I, thing? The, the, well, uh, well, the takeover? Isn't it odd to write a letter that says, I propose closing under the original terms of my agreement? Like, couldn't you just close if you were serious about closing? You're trying to avoid the the uh, deposition, though, right? You don't want to go to court anymore. Maybe. Maybe you just want to buy three weeks. For what purpose? Who the fuck knows? Oh, okay. Like, think, a lot can happen in three weeks. Didn't the judge come back and say Amen. it stayed until this particular date? Yeah. Which is when they're supposed to close, and if they don't, then... Then the then the suit is back on. So like, okay, what what happens if they don't close? What has actually gone on? A letter from somebody that no one trusts was sent proposing to potentially close as long as Twitter dropped a suit. Why? Because Why write that letter? Close. What's the th- well, or doesn't want to go to court. Or he wants the suit to get dropped so that you can't bring the claim again so that you have to go after some detrimental reliance claim. I mean, I don't know, but I'm just saying, like, it doesn't make sense. If you're serious about closing, you can always close. Yeah, there's back and forth on closing. There's stuff you need to do. They need help. Okay, but, like, it's odd that they're... It, it's just... It's an odd letter. It's odd to say to me, I propose closing so long as the company doesn't continue to sue me when I'm going to end up taking over the company if I close and then I can just shut the suit down. It's just odd. Something, answer. something doesn't smell right. And everybody's really convinced of a guy that uh, not that long ago, the market traded this merger arb at 38 bucks. And now people all of a sudden you know, myself included last week, take him at his word. I just, something's, hmm. the fish is not in the fridge. It's on the counter and it's getting smelly. So is your arb off then? Uh, yeah, well, I never really had it in size anyway, but. Okay. Um, Was it trading now? It's like 50 plus, isn't it? It's like 50, yeah. 50. Uh, there's not much arb left in it, is there? It's like 420 and so it's like 8%. 8.5% yeah, for what? For whatever. Yeah. That's uh, this is when merger arb gets a little bit weird to me, right? Because you have like uh, that risk award. I don't know. It's, yeah, I know. It's I, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't find that that intriguing. A lot of left tail risk. Shout out to a uh, to a. Uh, Where are they coming from? Alta Monte Springs, Teslaville, as Samson Highway, Samson Nashville, <laughs> Dubai, Townsville, Gothenburg. Sorry, I don't know how to say that. Liechtenstein, Sweden, Finland. Wow. Peru, Halifax, Kathmandu. That's cool. Unbelievable. Good spread. That is a good spread. Do you see what, what we got, got on, on deck? So I got, I got a few things today. Uh, the, uh, the EBIT 
EV spread that Alpha Architects tracks has blown out to the widest it has ever been. It's like two times where it was. You just keep saying that over and over again every show. But it's either, it, it, <laughs> it's it, bigger it, than last time. <laughs> that's the truth. It's an all-time yeah. high. Um, it's like twice, just eyeballing, it's like twice as high as it was in December. And it's twice as high as the 2000 and 2000 and 2000 peak and 2009 trough. So that's kind of interesting. Subsequent returns from those other two were astronomical for value. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. It keeps on blowing out. <laughs> uh, I've got I got the new Vidad piece and some some stuff on uh, the. I don't know how to I don't know how to articulate this. That it's a it's a Callum Thomas chart showing sentiment against stock allocations. So I think every the the the. If you look at any of the sentiment charts, they're very, very bad. You know, they're like through 2009 bottom, which would seem to indicate that there's some sort of bounce coming. But then uh, the allocation is like a household allocation to equities is like at peaks. So, so they're not not walking the talk. No, people feel well, that's bad, basically but still me. Over-allocated. Super bearish, but also long yeah, to the gills. Well, but what are you going to do? <laughs> Yeah. Let's 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 just jump into that one really quickly because it's kind of yeah. interesting since we're talking about it. But so it's from Callum Thomas. Um, he runs top-down charts in Queenstown in New Zealand. Great chart. I, I subscribe to it. All the charts are week. upside down, though. That's the problem. <laughs> That'd actually be helpful if they were. Oh, okay. Forward returns. It's either it's either past performance or forward returns. That's what it's showing. So he's got he's compared. Uh, Michigan consumer sentiment, and he's charted it against the AAII, American Association of Independent Investors, stock allocation. And so he's run it back to the 1990s, and they track pretty closely together. So how people feel is how they're positioned for the most part. And it's a pretty tight relationship. Other than sort of at the bottom in 2000, people were much under allocated to how they felt. But these two lines track pretty closely. Except for now, there's a wide, wide gap between them. Um, uh, the the sentiment line is through the floor in 2009, which is as low as it ever got in this in this 30 years of data that they've got. Whereas the allocation is it's kind of close to a peak. It's off the it's off the most recent peak, but it's still it's comparable to where it was in in twenty. Uh, 20- 2019 at the very peak and 2000 at the very peak. So one of those two lines is going to join the other one. Are the people going to get very happy or allocations going to come way down? Well, there could be a psychological bias at play here where uh, people will gamble to try to avoid a loss. So let's say that you have a known minus 9% real return on your cash and you can so you can lock that in and take a, a known nine percent hit, or you can try to gamble and get away from that loss potentially by with a Tina kind of an argument, and then you get uh, potentially bigger losses than that. But maybe you don't, and so that people will definitely lean towards gambling to try if they have a shot at avoiding a loss. I like that analysis. I think that Tina has turned into Tara, hasn't it? Though there are reasonable alternatives. <laughs> There, there always were, and one of them is 
<laughs> there always were reasonable alternatives. One of them is another topic of ours, but uh, you, you had a good chat. You, you shared a chat with us about Treasury Direct and uh, <laughs> NFTs. Yeah, there was a tweet going around that showed the, uh, it was just website hits to uh, the Treasury Direct, which is where you can go get, uh, you know, 9% bonds if you're a US citizen, uh, or comparing that to the NFT hits and like the it's currently like 2x now people going to the treasury than than to the uh nft makes me think fade inflation mm. could be well how do you do that by well i mean by if, long if duration this, assets no if all of a sudden everybody's googling how do i get inflation linked bonds and the presumption is people are ch chasing heat on average it seems to me that uh that's a pretty good indicator that the public is now concerned about inflation i i think that's probably a late later in the inflation story but i have been wrong the entire time so i don't know why do anyone you, would listen do you to think it. Do you but think... i don't think we're in a persistent eight percent inflation environment and if we are i think the underlying economy is going to fucking chug and that's good for earnings. Do you think that, uh, but that, 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 that there's no inflation on that website that was there? It's just that they're, they're paying 9%. I think that's the attraction. Such well, it's high. an inflation linked security. It's one year and then it resets. It's not like you're not getting 9% government bond for 10 years. That would right. be, I'd how do they put all my money in that. How do they determine the, the single year interest rate? Last I think time it looked like 7% or something. I think it's looking backwards, it's right? At the at the end sad. of the year, they calculate what it was and then they true up your account. Wasn't it? I thought it was like CPI plus uh, a one year okay. or something like that. I can't CPI remember. plus the one year. That, I, that, I could be wrong on that, but I'm sure someone will chime in with the correct answer. It could be right. It's like four and a half percent. I think the one year is at four, something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the formula, but... In any case... Know. It's a, it's if, a, if the presumption is when they were searching for NFTs when it was a bubble and now they're searching for inflation, I yeah, don't see how yeah. a similar logic can't follow that maybe this is the wrong time to be thinking about inflation. Could be. Does that do Pete? Does that is it actually reflexive though, where when you worry about inflation, you actually bring about more inflation because you're gonna ask for wage increases or I mean, there's a lot of knock-on effects there that might actually perpetuate it. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not so sure that it isn't just like automatically fade the whatever the popular, like it doesn't necessarily just go away everyone, just because everyone believes that it's here, right? No, I think it would go away because China stops a zero COVID policy, Europe hits a recession, supply chains normalize, the Fed raised rates to four and a half, the housing market slows. And your year-over-year -year data slows considerably. I got a couple of good comments from the hive mind here. Uh, from Brad, actually, finance resets every six months. Looks back at CPI plus a fixed rate. But then right, Kyle, the Kyle has uh, bad sentiment from inflation, but you stay allocated during inflation. That could be right. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. I just don't know what you do. Like, if... What's the average household going to do? They're going to dance in and out of the market based on their feelings. Like how many people are good at dancing in and out of a market? Very few. Right. So like, I, I, I think it's actually very rational. And, you know, I guess if the big crash comes and then we reset and then we go back up, like we'll say, wasn't that obvious in hindsight? 
you know, I don't know. I think there'll be, um, there's going to be some nasty earnings coming through here from everything that I've read. I think we're going to see some earnings. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that's the consensus either. I think the consensus seems to think that S and P five hundred is like two hundred and three. I think last time I saw, and then they're like twenty twenty three, two hundred and thirty eight, which seems hard to get to. Higher, basically, yeah. plus in okay. But then some of the other ones that look at the the S and P five hundred earnings against uh, various economic data seem to think that. Like that man group one, they they thought that 190 was the number, which is that's a pretty more than today. We're 203, so that's like a, I guess it's almost a 10. percent It's like five. seven and a half off the top. <clears throat> Six and a half off the top. Yeah, I mean, where do they have like 2024 and 2025? I'm more interested in that. I don't know. That's that's um. I got a I got a Vedad piece which is sort of on uh, the accuracy of uh, analysts predicting outlets. But I'll, I'll save that for I'll save that for later. What's what's your we we haven't done your what's your topic, JT? What do you got for today? Uh yeah, I'll tease it a little bit with um. So with all of this negativity uh that's potentially floating around, I think it would it would be strong of us to provide a counterbalance to that. And so, Ford returns looking better and better. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, this is a little bit of piece on optimism that comes from uh, this guy, Peter Leiden, I believe it is, is how he says his name, L-E-Y-D-E-N. And it's called The Great Progression of 2025 to 2050. Uh, and so we'll, the, I'll tease it with one of the quotes here. This slow moving pro-progress story is being missed by most of the mainstream media chasing the minute by minute story of crisis and decline. So little uh, palate cleanser maybe but let's get into how how bad analysts are at uh, predicting yeah why i mean dude you're not going to get any anyone to tune into your positivity that's uh <laughs> if, if the media industry has taught you anything it's don't come here and say anything positive no one wants that well I'll, maybe i'll come next week with some real like civilization collapse uh stuff yeah that's good that's okay. good earnings to 100 can't ever own stocks. Stocks to zero. World is collapsing. Global, global depression on the come with rip roaring inflation. Guaranteed. How can anyone be long here? <laughs> go to cash, but don't go to cash because cash is trash. So you have to own gold and bullets Bitcoin. and guns. All right. Endorse. In the absolute return strategy. <laughs> So I got a I got a Verdad piece here. This is their most recent one, Sages of Wall Street. It's called by Brian Chingono and Greg Obenchain. Uh, they looked at a 2001 paper, uh, Chan et al. Authors state that it is commonly suggested that one group of informed participants, security analysts, may have some ability to predict growth over long time horizons. However, there is little forecastability in earnings and analyst estimates tend to be overly optimistic. So they tested themselves. Uh, They looked at 1997 to 2021, median analyst estimate for growth over two to three years across a range of metrics. And then they compared it to, this is what I thought was kind of interesting. They looked at um, GDP, right? Yeah, GDP. Their, their GDP number was quite high, though. I'm just trying to find how they justified that GDP number. Yeah, we replaced the analyst forecast with a naive estimate that corresponds with long-term GDP growth. Since 1947, so I guess that 
that's a good date to start. US GDP growth has averaged 6.3% per year on a nominal basis, including inflation of around 3.5. Did you have any, any idea it was as high as that? Doesn't that seem, that's like stock market returns. Since when? 47. So you, you got to, like, that's a good base. Yeah, it helps to start when you bomb your after, entire competition. Just after World War II, coming off a low base. Yeah, so there's probably a lot of that is front-end loaded, but that's a very high number, 6.3%. And then th- yeah, inflation is 3.5 of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's much below that now. What are we What are we at now? Like 2% or something like that? Yeah. Not even 3 Ish. Sounds right. Yeah, 3 three real, I guess. That's, that's reasonable. You say 3 real? That's so right. So 12%. There's- no, no, no. What? No, 6% nominal minus 3% inflation gets you to 3% real. Yeah, okay. I thought you said, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Three real on top of that. I thought it was three real on top of the 9% no, no, no. inflation. Three real after. So they, basically they run this. The naive, as you, as you can imagine, the naive forecasting um, is the, by far and away the best. Just using 6.3% is the best estimate. It's still a little bit over optimistic though for that 1997 to, to this period. It's it's missing by uh 4.6% over three years for EBIT. Um so this is their conclusion. Turns out the naive estimate of GDP growth is much more accurate on average, with the median error being within a few percentage points of the actual outcome. On the other hand, analysts' forecasts tend to overshoot the mark by 20 to 40% on average when predicting so earnings over two to three. Strong to quite strong. So <laughs> So when you're doing your DCF, 6.3, whether it's a coal company or a SaaS company. Here's a real question. I'm not trying to troll or anything, but do people spend a lot of time looking at analyst estimates? But I would have thought that analysts do. Like if you this is, I assume this is for people putting together. Yeah, this is for people putting together their own estimates, I, I assume. But yeah, analysts, I, I think so. People read Well, if it's a consensus, it. it's a sell side, right? So who gives a fuck what the sell side thinks? They have to they have to pump their shit. It's kind of what I'm I'd be more interested in. That's kind of what I was trying to ask in a less aggressive way. I'd I'd be interested to see an aggregate buy side estimate. If you could if if firms would open up their books and let people actually see what they're truly underwriting, I think that would be a more interesting study. Never happened. You can but, see it implied in the prices that they pay, can't you? Uh, yeah, I guess you can back into it. It'd just be kind of interesting. You might find a lot of firms don't even estimate it. Yeah, so I guess that, so you're saying that self-side self side is overestimating because they're, they're trying to get business on the other side. Well, it, I mean, the individual companies, it's like it's happening at a micro level where they are over pumping, to use Bill's term, uh, you know, because they want to keep that relationship with management open and you don't come in with a this company sucks kind of report right so yeah so there's just a systematic bias toward uh fluffing everything up to make it look better yeah and i i was talking to somebody that was an excel side guy and uh i actually like the sell side quite a bit but as far as the targets and the recommendations go i mean he was like that's probably the fourth or fifth most important thing of the job oh really what's more important i mean getting Fluffing. management teams to like you and you know i i think what he would argue is the body of the report is much more important than the outcome of the report right like like your oh, your buy recommendation yeah like 
Ain't nobody got time to read all that. Yeah, well, I think that's what he would say. It's more important to do that work well and then to to sort of create a good relationship on behalf of your bank. (laughs) You guys seen that little, it's a little picture, like meme of like when someone has something really long and it just says like, I don't have time to read this. I'm happy for you. Or I'm sorry that happened. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) True. Always makes me laugh. So Toby, there's uh there's probably more still in that in the Verdad piece, right? Because he he then they break it up into deciles, if I remember I read it. Yeah, uh I was I was not gonna go into that detail. I haven't, okay. I haven't kind of but it's the ability for them to sort them into quintiles. Quintiles, right. And basically it's it's chance. It's it's not um it's I thought, it's, they, I thought they did okay on like the upper decile, actually. On oh, revenue. Is yeah. That what you're saying? yeah. So the further that they move down the income statement, the less predictability that they end up with. And the right. further that they look out in time, also the less predictability they end up with. Right. So they're better at revenue than they are net income. And they're better at next year's estimate than they are five years out. Because presumably they're using, um, they're using some kind of uh, model where there is, they're, they're projecting for the, the margins and things like that, right? They're doing what's the average margin, or, or are they saying everything's going to get much better over the next two years, three years? Yeah. So what's Dan really saying here? Is he is he really saying so it's better to buy levered companies that have to pay down debt so their equity goes up? <laughs> I mean, is that is that what's is that sort of the end state of the piece? This wasn't Dan's, but this is um just reflects the firm view, right? I think the firm view is uh don't put too much into the forward predictability of these things. And maybe I think that's right. That would be my view. Yeah. There's not a lot of idiosyncratic talent when it comes to actually be able to make a lot of predictions about the future, I think. And I bet Dan would then say, therefore, uh, a quant approach to using historical data will do better over a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Use the things that are predictive and don't use the things that aren't predictive. And there's not much that's predictive. Wow, Yogi, Yogi Berra shit there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the valuation seems to be, but like internals of companies seem to be very hard to predict. If it's going to go up, buy it. But if it's not going to go up, don't buy it. And if it didn't go up, you shouldn't have bought it in the first place. <laughs> Super helpful. All right. Let's send uh, it all over to computers. Let's A lot of people talking about computers should do it all the work. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean... This is the logical conclusion of most of these conversations. The computers are coming for our jobs. Yeah, or I mean, you know, if it's uh, it's not predictable, right? So turn it over to an algorithm. I don't even think that's wrong, especially if it's an ETF wrapper and you're not paying tax when things are traded in and out. It's a massively advantaged structure. Mm. In a theoretical sense, that is true. What are th- these are for like taxable gains though, right? That's that's where your whole theory <laughs> is. Yeah. The that's where I've been going. We found off. the problem. What's the EV to EBIT spread? You said that blew out. It's got to oh, be cyclicals. The uh, TTM cyclicals have got to be influencing that. I, I don't know. Think. Yeah, I, I think don't know what right. the composition is, but that's that's my guess that it's energy over earning and um, not getting any recognition for it. Or even like lumber, right? right? Think about, I mean, energy is some support. Yeah. But like, you know, if you're looking at the trailing 12 months on a lumber company, it's going to look a lot different from the next 12. 
And don't forget that methodology that they're using for this particular spread is remember there. It's basically like what the 75th stock compared to the 750th stock, I believe of a 1500 stock universe. So yeah, you're, you're taking the fundamentals off of one company and then comparing them off of one other company and then displaying that. So hmm. to, to try to get to, you know, narrative driven as to like what's happening underneath there, like it, it's going to be one stock and granted like that where it ends up in there is going to be dictated a lot. By they do that with one stock. Yeah. They don't do 10. Nobody pretty thought, sure. Hey, we should do 10, not one. I think it's, I'm pretty sure that's the, the methodology that's used for, huh. the, for Wes's thing, but that's crazy. Well, what would be weird. a better way of doing it? Well, you're, not, average. you're not cherry picking. I mean, no, well, look, Wes is super smart. So I'm, I don't understand something that's going it's, on. It's it just meeting of the decile me. versus meeting of the, of the universe. Meeting, yeah. of the t- meeting of the cheap decile versus meeting of the universe because the average is skewed, I would guess. The average is skewed one way or the other. And I, so it's the me- just somewhat hard for me to understand how, like, you could do um, like an enterprise value weighted. Uh, average of the 10 around that 75, right? 75 to 80 or 75 to 65 and 750 to 760 enterprise value weighted and, you know, and then have the earnings weighted, whatever. Like, it's just odd to me to pick one, but there must be a reason. This guy has written statistical books. You could take it. You could take a range of it though. Like if you take a range of it, like it's going to be. Yeah. I'm going to guess it's not statistically that different if you ran it over a long period of time and it's less work. Yeah, that's probably it. But I think you're right. I bet there is something to a an heavy heavy industry that is, uh, you know, doing well last year, and then no one believes that it'll continue. So it's yeah, blown. And out. I'm I'm sure you also have the narrative of okay, well, you know, under or like tech that was unprofitable is now laying off people, so that those earnings should grow faster. That that would be my for the middle. Uh, well, the 75th, right? <clears throat> the middle Just, is probably an industrial, which is actually what I kind of like the most right now. It would be interesting to see what the actual stock is for each of like at and different time periods too. Yeah. But that would be a kind of a fun to see that overlaid on a, on the, yeah, that would be fun. Wes, but they can probably generate that. I'll ask them. Yeah. Just because I got to think of something. Then we can just tell our own stories about why it's happening. <laughs> yeah, because I seventy five. It's got to be something sassy, don't you think? Well, for, the, for the higher, it's end? the it's the mid, middle of the market. So it's the middle okay. of the universe. Let's take it's fifteen hundred stocks. Order them okay. from EV to EBIT. Take the middle, dead middle of it, which is stock number seven hundred and fifty. Yep. And then take the de- the cheapest decile, which is. Uh, what zero through 150, I guess. 150, and you take the middle of that, which is stock number 75, oh, yeah. 75 oh. versus 750, oh. and then compare this makes those. sense. This makes sense, yeah. Okay, okay, I think I get it. And the ratio is wider than it has been at any other point in time. And typically, when the ratio, I mean, but that's the thing is, that's not the only that chart just follows the the outcome of various other charts, like every other chart gives you the same answer. You can't have a look at AQR splits it in a different way and they look globally yeah. and they look they, uh, look by industry, they adjust by industry and do various other things. They come up with exactly the same answer. So the simple version gives you 
the same answer as more complicated versions, which is just that, and you don't, you probably even recognize it now, like value's just underperformed. Value's got a, a, a wide differential between it and the market. Historically, when that's happened, it's led to good forward returns. I don't think it's too complicated. I know you want to be long value on the other side. That I know. Yeah. Yeah. If you can get there. Yeah. Just I, get don't, there. I just don't know when the other side is coming and where we are. Outside of that, I'm certain. Well, it's, it's interesting, right? I don't, know, I don't know exactly when it started to close in 2000, but it's, I wonder if it's when the market really does start to, when you see the carnage. So value's already had the shit kicked out of it. And then the rest of the market comes back to value, which is, you know. I don't think that you want to try to wait ideal. and see it, like try to catch that. Oh, you because know, no, no. I think that's a very, very dangerous way to do it. I think you'll end up missing it most likely. Yeah. I don't know. You might miss a lot of pain. Part of when I was oh, all yeah. pissed off other than my family stuff going on and me getting all sidetracked on comments. But uh, part of what was pissing <laughs> me off was I was like, man, the stuff that's getting the shit kicked out of it's in the value bucket. The rest of my portfolio was holding up okay. Like It seemed to lead the, the downs. Yeah. And then I remember thinking like, here's all these compounder bros. They're not even feeling any pain yet. And I'm like just hemorrhaging. Uh, now it's kind of nice. Misery loves company. So if everybody's <laughs> losing, Welcome I don't aboard. really care as much. That's right. Uh, JT, you want to hit us with the the yeah. palate cleanser? Sure. So as I teased before this, uh, you know, here's some potential optimism that we might might look towards. Um, what's kind of interesting about this is that this guy, Peter Leiden, 25 years ago, he wrote this this. Uh, article as well as a book, I think that was called like the long boom. And 25 years ago, he described this introduction of infotech and like, so digital computers and the internet, and that it was fundamentally like this new technology that was going to kind of take over the world. And, you know, he described how it was going to create this long tech boom that was going to drive both an economic boom and a stock market boom. Um, and so, cool. yeah, actually, 1997. Yeah. Pretty reasonably good call. Did he make uh, a lot of money in retire? Uh, I, I don't know, but he's saying now that he sees a similar setup. And in fact, he thinks that this one is even more dramatic. Um, and it has to do with three fundamentally new technologies that are going to have like historical impacts. One is energy tech, two is biotech. And the third one is, is the second bit wave of infotech that is around AI. Uh, and so did this come out in 2015? <laughs> <laughs> No, this was this year. But uh, so he says this is a triple whammy of tech as opposed to the other one, which was kind of just an infotech. Um, and he's saying this is the long boom squared. Uh, and so the first component. Huge, right? uh, well, maybe. Yeah. Good point. Um, you know, he's not a math Sorry, major. dude. I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to derail you. <laughs> so the energy. Uh, he's talking about how we have to make this transition for uh, away from carbon. So solar and wind. Is it going to be government or private sector? He, you know, no one kind of really knows the answers yet, but he believes that we're going to figure it out, and it'll be this constant churn of innovation and trial and error. And you know, small-scale nuclear probably a big component of the the equation. Uh, he said the auto industry is clearly on its way with 350 billion in new private investment going into EVs in 2021 alone. Uh, I think if I was long a particular EV company today, I would be a little scared of the, how much money is pouring into that. As if you like, if you believe in capital cycle theory at all. Um, so the next 
big breakthrough thing is biotechnology. Um, and actually has been pretty amazing. Like, so 20 years ago, it took them 15 years to do this, but 20 years ago, and it cost $2 billion. We, we sequenced the, the human genome first. Right. And now you can get your, your genome sequenced for like a thousand dollars. Uh, and you know, takes no time at all. And he thinks in the next few years, like it'll be down to like a hundred dollars. And so it's, it's been twice as fast as like what Moore's law would have kind of predicted, uh, if you're using that as an equivalent, um, doubling. So also on top of that, we, we've got CRISPR as this thing that allows us to monkey around with the genetic code quite a bit more, um, than, than we could before. And so he's saying that this will allow us to apply it to all kinds of different things, including crops, you know, to be more, um, more resilient to a, a difficult climate. If, if the climate change thing does, you know, come as a lot of people are imagining, then like, we're going to have to have crops that can handle maybe wider temperature variations, things like that. Uh, cultured meat, he says. So imagine starting with actual, you know, cow cells, like muscle fibers, and then basically growing them in a vat, uh, and then being able to turn that into meat that we're all going to eat. Uh, that's sounds kind of horrific, but maybe there's <laughs> might, might be better than the alternative though. might be better than whatever the alternatives are. Uh, and then also actually biology creeping into materials science. So like genetically engineering wood and, and plastics out of different, like, you know, living things that, uh, will have characteristics about them that would, that we wouldn't have had previously. So for instance, like plastic bags, which we're making with petroleum now could be actually genetically engineered to like break down when exposed to salt water or, uh, or over like a short or sunlight, like a, in a period of time. And like, they just disintegrate as opposed to now where they just float around in the Pacific ocean. Right. I think um, we're cleaning that up, aren't we? There's some, there's some suggestion we'll get that cleaned up in the next few years. I sure hope so. Cause that sure seems like a, that's a pretty bad uh, yeah. stain on humanity. Right. Um, all right. And then the third one, this infotech, uh, this like 3 billion more people are going to be connected to the internet for the first time in the next 10 years. Uh, half the population in Asia, two thirds of Africa and 40% of Latin America still aren't on the internet. So uh, it feels like it's Lucky everywhere. Bastards. Yeah. They're so much happier. <laughs> uh, by the end of this decade, the entire population of 8 billion people will be able to work and learn and shop online and, and it'll be transformative for them. Um, and he also says this experience will be greatly enhanced by the build out of the metaverse. Uh, so I don't know whose metaverse it is, but um, <laughs> we'll see. So maybe Zuck is, uh, I don't know. Everyone can <laughs> debate on that one. I don't have opinions. Uh, also a full digital transformation of government, uh, which is, you know, lagging big time. Uh, and then he gets into AI and about how, you know, mechanical machines gave humanity the ability to dramatically enhance and extend our physical powers. AI is going to do a similar thing for our mental powers. And so he says over the next 25 years, uh, it'll become increasingly simple, cheap, and ubiquitous to basically like tap into a cloud-based AI and help like, you know, solve your own problems. Um, <clears throat> so he said long booms are often created they create the conditions for progress and they're driven by these introductions of new technologies that create new industries, create new kinds of jobs, create new wealth. And they're, if, they, if they're big enough and transformative enough, they actually take decades to scale and fully build out. And so it's hard for us to see the pace of change today. Uh, and especially if you're in the middle of a, you know, if you're following the market too closely along and just reading headlines, like it definitely feels like it could be a dour, uh, but um, 
you know, if, if you're looking out a little bit further and actually do have these longer time horizons, like there's actually a lot of stuff you could be excited about. Um, so lack of affordable housing is a big problem right now. And a lot of it has to do with cars. Like the modern city devotes one third of the real estate to cars. So, and they sit 95% of the time. So maybe autonomous vehicles solve some of this problem and, and actually make it cheaper to house. Um, personalized medicine, using all this synthetic biology and AI hopefully lowers the cost of healthcare. Um, you know, you, it's been a 60 year struggle going the other direction, but we got to start killing old people, man. Is that what it, that's the answer? Like Soylent Green is the answer. Soylent Green. I don't know, but some sort of Jack of Workian shit I am in favor of. <laughs> people live to. too damn long. Could be. Uh, I would want it. I'm watching it with my grandma. It, she, I love her very much, but, uh, you know, she's got to go. <laughs> So for uh, her and for us, not, you know, I'm not saying that in a rude way. If I were her, I would want to go. I say that out of a loving way, but you know, like these drugs just, you know, her vitals are as good as possible and her mind is going and, and there's nothing that can be done about it. At, at that point, I would want a compassionate, I'd kill my dog in the same situation. Somebody out here is like, Oh my God, you know, but whatever. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. I, I digress, but I do think a lot of health care costs go on in those years that are, not maybe the best allocation of societal resource. Yeah, I think you're... Look at me, I'm Obama. Yeah. With my killing <laughs> Death panels. panels. That's right. Uh, so next thing, personalized learning, lowering the cost of higher education, which is another thing that has seen nothing yeah. but inflation. Um, <clears throat> he says that the 2008 crash and the slow build out of the Great Recession has put everyone into a mindset of scarcity. And that these long booms that we're heading into are more suited to a mindset of abundance. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. Um, aging demographics will will mean that we need AI and robots to replace this aging workforce. So everyone who's worried about these robots taking our jobs, Samson going wild with know, the Tesla is, robot. This is this is a Samson's. Uh, this is dedicated to him. Uh, <laughs> we actually need these robots to take our. You know, we need them to take these jobs because we don't have the humans that are young enough to do it. Um, I'm not saying this, by the way, this is uh, Leiden. Um, it's America. Facts. Go get a tile bid right now. <laughs> yeah, we need tile robots. Yeah, can't uh, do it. America should get back to opening their immigration uh, borders. I think that one's actually pretty smart. Um, and then he, this is where it gets a little bit off the rails for me, but uh, maybe, you know, diff smart minds can disagree. Millennials and Gen Z are shifting their mindset is much more towards progressivism than the boomers before them. And he says that, that California is actually the like leading indicator of where the U.S. is heading and that it's the early stages of figuring out how to solve these 21st century problems. Uh, he says it's far from perfect, but that you know, there's a lot of trial and error, but California more than any other state is engaged in solving these future challenges. Where does like this climate, dude live? Climate change, uh, diversity of population uh <laughs> and california is yeah. the future when it comes to technology the he economy society and culture and he it's long it's long played the role of prefacing america's future <laughs> so uh, but he does have something that i think is like he says never bet against human ingenuity which i think is actually a smart uh i agree with that human beings are incredible problem solvers and we've gotten particularly good at problem solving over the last couple of centuries and the pace of innovation has been building and that our tools keep getting better and better and that uh, you know we'll have the capabilities that we need to pull off another great, great leap forward in progress. Um, 
<clears throat> and then if we have time, he he has 10 possible like things that would derail the progress. Uh, so let me jam jam those through. Real quick. Why don't we just do that next week? We can go negative next week, man. This all is right, all positivity. All right. Good point. No, you I'll, can do uh, it. You no, no, let's save it. I want to hear the 10. No, we're going to tease it because I've got uh, another book that I read recently that will dovetail in with uh, with these possible. So have you um, I'll, I'll uh, have I'm you done. seen an analysis of the Inflation Reduction Act? Uh, no, as far as it just being a green energy ploy, or the what? amount of, of money and incentives that the government is going to give uh, industry to innovate. I, I think it is, look, do I think it's going to reduce inflation? No, I don't. But do I think it is possible that we're in the middle of like our generation space race and that we figure out the leading technology uh, for a, like a sustainable energy planet and the US exports that technology for 50 years to follow? Yeah, I do think that's possible. And um, I think like... I, I actually think I, I would not sleep on the Midwest and some of these, uh, maybe even Texas to have some real innovation come out of it. There's a lot of incentives that are in that bill that I think could make things a lot better. Uh, and we may, I, I mean, I got love for California. You all have the best topography in the world and crazy good weather. And I think people are always going to want to live there, but I wouldn't sleep on the rest of the U S I think, I think there's going to be a lot of really cool innovation that we're, we're uh, now how we're going to pay for it, whether or not it's the right way to incentivize it. People can disagree, but I, I uh, I'm excited. It's a, I'm not sure where I fall on the argument of, of government spending for innovation and whether it's actually like an effective mechanism or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, when so much of the innovation has seemed to be accidental over time, if you read like Matt Ridley's work on innovation, uh, you know, it's usually like somebody tinkering and it had nothing to do with a government. And, you know, he specifically like talks about the Wright brothers and how like they were just these guys that were bicycle repairmen that were kind of messing around in their shop. And there was another guy that was fully funded by the U.S. government, like a tons of money poured in and he was famous. He couldn't get anything off the ground. And these guys did. Um, I, you know, I, I think I'm not sure that that's our the best. Use well, it depends them. how you're doing it. Right. I, I think if if there's uh I think if you're incentivizing the tinkerers, that's a, that's fine. I think if you're saying this will be the winning tinkerer and, and back, how do that, you allocate money agree. without backing who you think is going to be the winning tinkerer? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I need to figure out how the, the proceeds are, uh, dispersed, but I mean, you know, so we can get can write... some of that STEMI. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, that's yes. I, I am thinking about which companies are going to win from this. And one of them is Papa Buffett. He's going to reap so many fucking government subsidies. It's going to be ridiculous, but that's what he's good at that and not paying taxes. But, uh, and I love him, but Spicy. let's be real about what it is. Um, he's not the uh, ultimate government subsidy truffle hound though, right? He's going to, he's <laughs> going to get a, Berkshire Hathaway is going to get a lot of them, man. Yeah. A lot. Uh, and I'm happy. I mean, they 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 are doing as much for a sustainable, clean future, especially in Iowa, as any company. And if we're going to want to incentivize that, then great. Uh, but, you know, just give me that money and then let's buy in the shares because you trade like a financial and you got some brands behind you. Uh, so I don't know. That's that's what I'm trying to spend some time learning about. Yeah, that is interesting. I think you're not wrong to 
I like your, your biotech stuff. I've heard a lot of people talk about biotech, the innovation that's gone on there. I don't know anything about it though. I wish I did. That, uh, that book sounds like the, the, therefore the next step should be going by arc. Hmm. Doesn't that sound like a Kathy Wood type? Like that could have been a present. They, they should get this guy to be their in-house um, futurist. Well, I mean, the valuations still matter, right? Are you just Kathy have, Wood could just be correct on where the about... world is going. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's actually, there's a big lesson there that uh, you can be right about it, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily win as an investor. <laughs> Well, what's, let's flip it on its head then. So, you know, Buffett says you couldn't have picked out of the two or 300 car companies which ones were going to be GM and Ford, um, but you knew that you wanted to be short the horse. Because that was, that was, you know, that was mm. at the turn of the century. Wise. There was, there was so much horse manure in cities that they were, you know, they were going to declare horse manure bankruptcy. Like they just couldn't, they couldn't find a way to get rid of it. And so the, the car, of course, solves that problem. So... What's the horse that needs to be shortered if all of that is the case? That's not obvious, is it? No. I thought that biotech, I thought the issue in biotech was that we've found sort of all of the simple molecules and now we've got to find increasingly more complicated molecules and that, you know, we've been less successful in doing that. Well, what's the, what's the big innovation? This is going to sound so stupid. I'm supposed to read a book, but is it CRISPR? CRISPR. I, I know nothing what I'm talking about right now, so I should just shut up. Usually doesn't stop me, but when I really know I know nothing, I don't talk. You can pull back a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you want to short. Nothing. What if the future, is, uh, the future of energy is uh, small nuclear power plants? Well, I, I think the question is what is what does that mean, right? Like I don't I don't think uh like something that, that one of the, the researchers uh that I saw, like carbon capture, right, is something that you want exposure to. Okay, cool. One of the things that I was reading is like a lot of the assets on along the uh Gulf of Mexico can be repurposed for carbon capture, right? So it's like I think um we're gonna put the oil back in the ground. Well, the- no, I don't. I don't exactly know, but there's that company LFG. I think it's called Acadia. Uh, they're they're trying, or they are a carbon capture play. I'm pretty sure. Um, GFL has talked about carbon capture on their earnings calls, from what I understand. Um, I don't. I it, trees. I mean, imagine this. Like, uh, you know, if you have freehold land that has trees on it, uh, could be an incentive to you know, plant more or whatever. Um, That's one of the arguments for that synthetic biology and using uh, more actually like growing trees for other material uses as we figure out how to like make them more of whatever use case that we want is that you then also get that carbon capture as a, as a bonus while it's growing. Yeah. I've, I mean, I've seen like plans for wood buildings that actually like absorb carbon as they, you know, I mean, I don't know how much of this stuff is real and how much of its promises, but I do think we're going to try a lot. We we call it we call it carbon capture for shorthand, but the the issue is not carbon. It's it's not carbon. Full stop. It's carbon dioxide. Yeah, I think that that's Sounds one of the weird right. things. Like the whole discussion is around carbon, but no one gives carbon doesn't do anything to the climate. It's carbon dioxide that is the claim. 
Yeah. I mean, we should, in theory, eat less cows, right? A lot of methane. That's not great. Got to go for, you you know, go go for some reason. Dude, I had some methane coming out of me yesterday and my kids were ripping on me. I said, I said to my one kid, I was like, I eat too fast. And he was like, is that why your farts smell so bad? I said, oh, geez. Also, yes. (laughs) Uh, There's some good comments here. When they Uh, hold the mirror up to you, it's, it's the worst. Yeah, that's right. MSN Robotics, tactile manipulation specifically. The problem is I can rent you a robot with human-level general intelligence and manipulation abilities for $15 an hour. Say what? Yeah. Can they be my financial analyst? (laughs) That's pretty cheap. Are they systematically over-optimistic about uh, forecasts as well? (laughs) Probably. Yeah. What are, hit us with the questions. Yeah, that's a good idea. Hit us with questions. I, that's I, that's a good segment, Jake. It's nice to be optimistic. It's very easy to say the world is going to end. It may. Next week. We'll, it may. <laughs> we'll get to why it's going to end. The only problem with those those sort of things, like I, I love science fiction as much as the next guy, and I can go and read science fiction about, you know, a future where we've got flying cars. and Yeah. Everything's powered by a tiny little nuclear device that neatly sits inside your car and it's it's all easy to but like the connection between here and there, evidently flying cars is a pretty hard problem to solve. We've been trying to do that for a long time and there are lots of people trying to do it now, including the Google guy who's just shut down his his flying car effort. I'm more I'm more gonna mourn the loss of a grumbling engine. I went to uh, Atlanta with my dad and I did the Porsche driving experience. We drove a... Yeah, how was that? Dude, it was sick. We drove a, a Turbo S uh, 911 and a GT3. And then in the showroom, they started up this Macan Turbo and it was like grumbling. And then they, they drove an electric one past me. I barely even heard it. I was like, <laughs> fuck. You know, they're going to like pipe in the sound. What a bad garbage. <laughs> I don't know. I'm such a boomer when it comes to this, but yeah, like just are. engine noise and rumbling. I don't know. Gets my get the yeah. juices flowing a little down there. Yeah, man. And like I get it. They go fast. And I mean, I've driven a Tesla. They're super fun and whatever, but I don't know. The world is going to be missing something. Yeah, you know what movie was surprisingly good about that was uh, Demolition Man. Have you guys seen that one lately? Uh-uh. Oh, man. Go back and watch that. I mean, like. Yeah. They like the underground society that doesn't want to be managed. And he's got like an old, you know, hot rod because he wants to burn fuel and everyone else is on electric and uh, being fined for saying the wrong thing. Like, you know, credits uh, for like social credits, basically, like be, for saying like swear words. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I like would get fined a lot. Did, did you work out how the shells work? <clears throat> no, I'm still trying to. I'm, I've been in reverse engineering that for a, two decades now. I still haven't gotten it. It's very messy work. <laughs> Some real inside baseball there, TC. How's everybody feel about the uh, the market at the moment? Going lower. 70, 80%. No telling when it stops. But everybody's long to the gills. <laughs> Got to be long. Yeah, how do you interpret that? People are, people are waiting for the dip to, to come. They're just holding for the, the bounce. I'm bearish. I'm long. 
What, what am I going to do? I, I don't have any demonstrable facts that I have ever been very smart at what the market's going to do outside of the melt up. Mm. What, so, what, like, what am I going to do? The thing is, though, other other times in the market, people have sold down their holdings. So it's it's one of two things: either Michael Green's thesis that the flows are all that matters is the is the thing that's keeping it elevated. In which case, that it doesn't elevate. Go it's going down every day. What are you talking about elevating? Yeah, that's a good point. Well, but just the the uh, the allocation. Oh, okay. Rather than the actual market itself, yeah, that the market is awful odd. So it's a long way from. Infinity I was told here. it was going to melt up to infinity. What happened? <laughs> It's a long way from infinity here. <laughs> then uh, Kathy Wood's arc has continued to see a lot of flows through this. Like it's not it's not negative flows yet. It's still quite. Yeah. Can you I bottom mean, if you if that's the case? I don't. That's a good question. I, maybe. I mean, this is like so naive, but maybe retail is actually getting smarter, and they're just dollar cost averaging over, and they actually have the right time horizon, which is not a year. And it actually is till they're, you know, retired. And, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, it, I'm sure that's a stupid thought. And I'm sure it's going to look really dumb when we crash. And people are going to be like, how stupid are you? And I'll say, I've always said I'm stupid. Go fuck yourself. But, um, but like, I, I think maybe it's rational to stay long. And the other thing is, man, there's stuff that's cheap. Like, you know, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't really want to talk names that much anymore but like there just is <laughs> um is google cheap probably not like can can that get cut 20 30 can microsoft sure but like there are things that are just obliterated so you know i don't know what do you do do you sit there and you say oh well everybody's too allocated so i got to go to cash or do you just go do something i had a good quote from i think it was bill nigran today uh on my twitter where he said, sorry, I'm what did he tell you? Oh, just, just about that allocate, just on that point. Um, he's talking about a stock picker's market, uh, a meaningless phrase used when the market is high to say their favorite stocks will be spared when the market declines. We don't use that term, but we've also been guilty of thinking our favorite stocks could withstand a market decline. Yeah. But what do you do? Right. By the time, like how many how many people not named Druckenmiller and uh, Tepper and like a few other guys have ever demonstrated the ability to dance in and out of the market? Three-ish, maybe? Probably Buffett. Like Buffett's using that, like he's got a very strict sure. hurdle, right? And he's, he's just- a savant. But he's doing it on, a, on, a, um, on an ad hoc basis. Yeah, just like he's not trying to, oh, maybe, you know, he's- Shut down the shut down the hedge fund in late sixties. Market cap to GDP talk in the ninety nine. Do you think that's what it was? Sun Valley. <laughs> <laughs> he said it. I, he was I saying didn't it was say expensive. It. He said it. Yeah. He, but it, what, was was it market cap to GDP? He said that in ninety nine. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But they've also recently said stuff is not nearly as nutty as it's been in the past. Well, that's right. True I mean, they're they've down thirty percent from twenty five percent from the start of the year. But even at the start of the year, he's buying stuff like Apple. They were buying Amazon in May. Like this is not. Uh, I I just you know I don't know. I saw somebody was like, "How can you possibly have Apple as your best idea?" Uh, you know, here or whatever. And 
I just think with thoughts like that, it's, it's, uh, maybe it's much more interesting to ask why might somebody see that rather well, than what, how. An interesting question is why Apple over Google? Because I would have thought Google is a comparably good business. And, um, yeah, it I mean, it seems I, to be a bit cheaper. Uh, I own uh, Apple allocation. through Berkshire. I think is the answer. Alloc- yeah. Capital allocation. Yeah. Buybacks okay. on one okay. and not on the other for Buffett. Google doesn't yeah. have any buybacks. Google's, going on. No, they've started. They've started. But, but look at compared to Apple. It's not nearly what Apple has. Nothing. Problem with buybacks, man, is the higher the stock goes, the lower the juice from the buyback is. Yeah. So you want it down. Yeah. But then you got to live it down when everybody's telling you it's a shitty company that deserves to trade at a PE of 10 and it's going out of business because T-Mobile's coming after it. And then everybody likes to say, oh, well, if you just owned AutoZone for the 10 years, I'm sure (laughs) that AutoZone had no bears that entire time and it traded at that multiple for that long because it was easy to own. Yeah, it was an easy hold at at seven times earnings for a decade. It's been pretty good performer, though. It's been pretty consistently a good performer. It's been incredible, but I'm saying like, the I mean, you've been paid to hold, at, you know. Yeah, but you don't that 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 business doesn't trade at that multiple and allow it to retire that much stock because it's a sleep at night story. Yeah, like you got to really yeah, do okay. your work. And okay. You know which know one it. might even be more extreme is Dillard's. So with yeah. Yeah. looking at that stock price chart and what they did from a capital allocation, and then it just unhinged from like that was amazing, fifty right? to five hundred in like a year. <laughs> um. What do you think about Kathy's letter to the Fed, open letter to the Fed? Can we all agree that you need to stop expressing things in percentages when it moves from zero you, to... You think it was the 13-fold increase? Come on. that You can't compare that with something that you know went from 4% to 20% and say that it's more of a, of a move. Do you think that she knows that's, they'll that's get attention? And so she sticks I, yeah, it in there I was just the going to say, Come I on. respect her as a marketer. Like, I, you know, we were three guys on a value pod talking about her letter to the Fed. Who the fuck cares what Kathy Wood thinks what the Fed should do? She's she's in, incredibly good at, at getting attention. And that's Isn't, why she has inflow. She's yeah. an incredible business person. That's what it, I think. It's a little bit anti the, uh, the rest Marketer, of the Marketer, yes, business though, person. I'm not sure about that. With the uh, Dude, her business is doing better than mine. Well, what did... All right, I'm not getting... That's fine. Look, I, I do, do. Am I running the same game? Right? Do I have the same incentives? No, I don't. But she built a business. She's at, like, didn't she sell out of it and levered up to buy it back? Well, that's not great. That's but, hard. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to see. I mean, I'd like to see her personal balance sheet. I, sure I think okay. she's probably doing okay. I think she's probably got like 30, 40 million bucks somewhere. And you know, if she blows up and goes away and no one ever talks about her, I bet she lives a pretty good life from here on out. Do you think it's um, I hope so. anti her message though, that to do, be by the way. sending a note to the Fed? No, like she needs rates down because she owns a bunch of pixie dust. It is not a little bit of a tell. Like when well, you just yes, avoid it's stuff a like tell. That? <laughs> well, she's not Ackman. No crying though. I mean, Ackman will cry like that. I still will defend Ackman on that call. Crying Which one? though. Come Which on. one? The one at the bottom. I don't think people listen to that call and actually listen to it. What about Target? The Target meeting. He cried at the Target meeting too. Oh, well. I'm I don't Herbalife. Know about that. I think he hey, cried he's on that just one, right? He's Todd. 
he did a lot of a lot of work on Herbalife. Not a lot of great work, I guess, but a lot of work. <laughs> you know, I respect what he did. The guy believed him. They're probabilistic. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to yeah. be loud and short. I think you can be. I think you can be right about the general thesis that it was probably not. You know, it's a. It's you know, selling uh, milkshakes to selling weight loss milkshakes to people who are lower. In, uh, you know lower income maybe that's not the best business to be in and using that sort of mlm type method to distribute them and then you know the other side can be right too that there are the people who are buying them at the end are using them and they seem to be getting some results or at least they're still consuming them so i don't know yeah i mean i know that people don't love our enforcement agencies but they were investigated and they were cleared right so I don't. I, I don't know that you can still say it's a total fraud if that's the case. Not a fraud, no. But the, the, he's just saying that. I thought. I thought the argument Slimy. was that the business model was a bit. Yeah. I think but his there's, argument there's was a little bit more direct than the business model yeah, was. was unsightly, or or makes me feel bad. No, it was. Uh, it was criminal. I think he. Yeah, and like it wasn't criminal. criminal. Was I think the the game. This game should be played with a little bit less attachment uh mentally where you shouldn't be crying over things well let me i'll defend him on this with herbalife if he actually and i i don't see how you would dedicate that much time in your life to that idea if you didn't believe it and like to dedicate the time and resources to exposing a story that you thought was like real i i commend that i think people should do that uh if they have that kind of power and if it was a fraud it would be a different story problem is it doesn't appear like it is and that's that's where the so game everyone is go back and watch that great icon versus Ackman debate that was dude <laughs> do you see the icon documentary the on hbo i think it was no i didn't watch that one yet it's icons a savage savage <laughs> fellas that's time we made it have a good one good job shout Checked out to it. the ladies <laughs> <laughs> pandering pandering oh, that's boy. right tell your friends Hot.